So let's take a moment and explain why we are studying other religions. There are two reasons. Number one, the data suggests that Christians who uh, are knowledgeable about other religions are more inclined to talk to people of other religions uh, about Jesus. Uh, we're calling this series Conversant. We want to become conversant of other faiths so that we will share our own more boldly, more frequently. Second reason we're studying world religions is because, frankly, Jesus shines brighter in our hearts and minds when he's compared against the competition. <laughs> I, 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 my appreciation for what I have in Jesus is only going up as I'm studying other religions, and I hope it is uh, the case for you. And uh, if you're a seeker and you're here saying, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm exploring, stick with us because I predict that by the time this is all over, uh, you're going to be enamored with Jesus and what God offers us in his son. Let me pray. Lord, we acknowledge your presence with us. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we receive, uh, we receive that promise with thankful hearts. Spirit of God, right now we ask you to um, have your way with us. Lord, this many people in the room... There are lots of different, they've had a lot of different weeks. Some of us uh, are coming uh, off, we're just floating on cloud nine, things are great. We're celebrating some, some wonderful events in our lives and others are here just uh, wondering how in the world they even made it. They're just feeling so beaten up. And God, you know the very number of hairs on our heads and we trust you, Spirit of God, to minister to us uh, exactly where we are. Jesus' name, amen. So today we're studying Islam. I know a lot of you have been waiting for this week because you've been asking me, when are we going to study Islam? So here we are. Uh, Islam is the second largest religion in the world. Uh, Christianity has the most adherents, but there are about a billion Muslims in the world, roughly 15% of the world's population, several million Muslims here in the United States. Um, the country with the most Muslims is actually Indonesia, 178 million Muslims in Indonesia, and uh, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. It began in 610 AD, hundreds of years after Christ. Muhammad, the, uh, he was a 40-year-old merchant living in Mecca, and once a year he would head off into the nearby mountains and uh, pray and meditate in a cave. In the year 610, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Muhammad, recite. He had uh, a number of these visitations from the angel Gabriel from the year 610 until shortly before his death in 632. And those revelations that he committed to memory were later written down and became uh, the Quran, the holy book of the Muslims. We've been examining each religion asking four questions. Number one, what is the problem this religion sees with the human condition? Number two, what is the solution to that problem? Number three, what technique for achieving the solution? And then finally, who are the exemplars? With, for Islam, the problem is pride, human pride. That hubris of heart that says, I can live without regard for my creator. I don't need to worry about uh, what Allah wants from me. I can just be uh, self-directed and autonomous. And uh, Muslims say that 
pride gets in the way of peace. Our own peace of uh, our own soul being at peace, uh, our communities being at peace, ultimately our world being at peace. Pride is the problem. The solution then is submission. The word Islam means submission. Islam is the religion of submission. People submitting to their creator, to Allah. Submission. And uh, Islam says that when I submit to Allah, I will be at peace. Ultimately, I will get to enter paradise. When my family together submits to Allah, our family will be at peace. When my community submits to Allah, my community will be at peace. When my world is all submitting to Allah, the entire world will be at peace. So the technique for achieving submission is uh, to do what Allah requires. And at its uh, most basic level, it's the five pillars of Islam. Pillar number one is the creed. In order to become a Muslim, all you need to do is say with understanding and intent the following. Uh, There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. So I just said that with understanding, but not with intent. Because I do not believe that Allah is God, and I do not believe that Muhammad is God's prophet. Second pillar of Islam is prayer. Uh, Muslims pray five times a day, not like evangelicals who say what's on our hearts and minds in the moment. They, uh, they can do that, but during the five prayers of the day, they, th- those are uh, prayers of rote memory. All Muslims around the world are saying the same thing. And they are often in a posture of submission and facing Mecca, the holy city. The third pillar of Islam is uh, fasting during the month of Ramadan. Between sunrise and sunset, uh, Muslims fast from food and alcohol and sex and tobacco and other things. The uh, fourth pillar of Islam is pilgrimage. If you are financially and physically able, you are required to once in your lifetime, go to Mecca, the holy city, and um, it's called the Hajj. If you go on Hajj, then you get to have the honorific title Al-Hajj after your name. So if I went on pilgrimage, I would be Michael Al-Hajj. The Quran says that if you take the pilgrimage uh, and you do it right, all your sins will be washed away and you will be restored to the innocence of a baby. So you want to time it right. Uh, The fifth and final pillar of Islam is almsgiving. Uh, Muslims are required to give 2.5% of their possessions to the poor. So uh, Islam is much more about what you do than about what you believe, although you do need to believe that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. But whether you're a good uh, Muslim or not, it has everything to do with whether or not you are doing Allah's will whether or not you are submitting to him. The exemplar par excellence is Muhammad the prophet. He lived uh, a life of total submission to Allah. We Christians ask, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, and so he lived the life in the body the way it was meant to be lived. Muslims ask, what would Muhammad do? WWMD. Uh, and they, are very, they, they ask this very seriously. In fact, uh, they've written down what Muhammad did. 
and that's called the hadid, the, uh, the actions and the uh, sayings of Muhammad. And they are, other than the Quran, they're just slightly below the Quran in terms of uh, respected scriptures. So you've got the Quran, Quran and the hadid. And that comprise, you know, that, that's very, very, those are the important writings, most important writings for um, Muslims. In order to understand Islam, you have got to understand this. So, tune in here. Islam is not interested only in organizing your religious thinking. It's, it's not interested only in organizing your spiritual life. Uh, it's, or, it's interested in organizing all of your life. So, for example, uh, Yahya Emmerich, uh, translator of a popular uh, version of, Islam, of the Quran, says, Islam is a religion, a civilization, a state, a social system, as well as a philosophy. Uh, Islam does not um, acknowledge a secular, sacred divide, a private life, public life. No, um, Islam has a vision for all life, how we dress, how we eat, uh, how we relate to each other in the home, how we do uh, politics, how we do commerce. And um, so you've all heard of Sharia, right? Sharia law. Well, Sharia law is simply what does submitting to God look like in everyday life? And it's very particular. It is um, built, Sharia law is built from the Quran and the Hadid. What did Muhammad uh, say and do? What did the angel Gabriel um, tell us? And so Sharia law is extremely detailed. For example, uh, Saudi Arabia, Lee mentioned Saudi Arabia, uh, Sharia law is the law of the land in Saudi Arabia. And so here are, just for example, 10 things women in Saudi Arabia cannot do because it's prohibited by the uh, Sharia. Number one, women in Saudi Arabia cannot go anywhere without a male chaperone. In fact, tragic story, a couple years ago, there was a teenage girl who was uh, gang raped. It went to trial, and she was, uh, she was found guilty along with her uh, rapists because she had been out without her male chaperone. In fact, she was uh, given more lashes than any of the guys who raped her. Number two, women in Saudi Arabia cannot obtain a driver's license. They cannot open a bank account without their husband's permission. They cannot expect to be their husband's only wife. Um, now, Muslim men are limited to four wives, but polygamy is definitely, that's what Muhammad did, and, uh, and that's kind of uh, promoted and expected. Women in Saudi Arabia may not wear clothes or makeup that shows off their beauty. They may not interact with men outside their family. They're not allowed to go for a swim. They can't compete freely in sports. They're not allowed to try on clothing when shopping. They certainly cannot convert to Christianity. Now, Muslims, Muslims are divided with regard to the question of uh, how much should Sharia law be the law of the land? And Muslims are divided into uh, four groups. You have uh, Muslims who are secularists, and they say, hey, religion's a private thing, should be separate from politics. 
You have Muslims who are modernists who say, we should appropriate the best of the West, but resist assimilating into Western culture and values. You have traditionalists who say, Islamic law and doctrine should guide society. And then you have fundamentalists who say, society should return to the original aims of Islam and purge non-Muslim ways of life from society. I have found no one who is willing to say, of the one billion Muslims in the world, here's the percent that are traditionalists, here are the, here are the percent who are modernists. Nobody's willing to say that. Although everybody says um, the vast majority of Muslims are either secular or modernist. Uh, but it doesn't take too many tens of millions who are seeking to impose Sharia law on the rest of the world uh, for there to be some agitation in society, right? So I have here a, uh, a map of the world indicating Sharia law, uh, where it's the law on the land. The countries in blue, Sharia law applies in full. It is the law of the land. Sharia law is the, uh, the laws of the state, covers personal state issues, personal status issues, as well as criminal proceedings. Yellow countries, Sharia applies in personal status issues, marriage, divorce, inheritance, child custody, uh, what you can wear, those kind of things. Orange countries, there are uh, regional variations within the country in the application of Sharia law. And then the green countries, these are um, Muslim-majority countries where Sharia plays no role in the judicial system. And so, again, um, Muslims uh, differ with regard to whether Sharia should be uh, kind of forced upon society or just something that um, the individual decides to um, follow. Harvard Human Rights Journal says this, most Muslim-majority countries have faced vociferous demands from their religious groups and political parties for immediate adoption of Sharia as the sole or at least primary legal framework. Uh, so there are, there are definitely, uh, there is definitely a percentage of Muslims who believe that uh, Sharia law should not be left to chance, but it needs to be imposed upon everybody because um, peace is only brought when people are submitting to Allah, and Sharia tells us what submission to Allah looks like practically. So not only should I do it, but I should insist, uh, I should help my neighbors do it as well. Talk now about uh, jihad. We've all heard of jihad, uh, often described as holy war, although uh, a more precise definition of, is struggle. Muslims understand jihad in, in two ways. Number one is an internal spiritual struggle. Uh, as I struggle to uh, put down my own pride and my self-autonomy, uh, and I struggle to live in submission to Allah. There is, however, a second uh, understanding of jihad, and that is the struggle, a physical uh, struggle against uh, the enemies of Islam, the, the, the not yet submitted ones. The Quran divides the world into two groups. 
The whole world is either Dar al-Harib or Dar al-Islam. Dar al-Islam are the territories that are under the rule of Muslims, where Sharia law is the law of the land. Dar al-Harb are territories, lands, that are not yet under the control of Muslims. They're under the control of the unbeliever. And here's the important thing to understand is that the Quran says that Dar al-Harb has no right to exist. And the Quran envisions a world in which uh, there is no Dar al-Harb. It's all Dar al-Islam. The entire world is uh, under the... uh, is submitting to Allah, ruled by Muslims. And uh, many Muslims would say, would define a true Muslim as anyone who is not resisting Allah. So anyone who reads the Quran, uh, you know, most Muslims, probably all Muslims would say, hey, I would love Dar al-Islam to be everywhere and there to be no Dar al-Harb. But they disagree uh, vehemently with each other regarding the tactics for getting there. All right, so uh, Muslims are by no means unified in terms of what tactics are legitimate for expanding uh, Dar al-Islam. Everyone says that the vast majority of Muslims are opposed to spreading Islam by the sword. Uh, the, The vast majority of Muslims say, no, 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 no. The tactics that we can use are tactics like childbearing. Let's just have a whole lot of kids, and then at some point, there will be more Muslims in the land, and so we can vote Sharia law in, and we can uh, vote Muslims into power. Uh, We can demonstrate in the streets, and we can uh, agitate in peaceful uh, peaceful means, but we're not going to use violence. We'll persuade people when possible to become Muslims, and and so the vast majority of Muslims in the world, uh, everyone says, say no to violence, no to spreading Islam by the sword. But there, there are some Muslims who say, hey, the ends justify the means, and uh, we have got to crush Dar al-Harb, we've got to expand Dar al-Islam, that's the will of Allah, and we're going to use whatever means are necessary, including suicide bombings and terrorism and, and war. Now, before we just too quickly you know, write off Islamic State and, um, and uh, Al-Qaeda and Taliban and others, to their credit, what did Muhammad do? Muhammad absolutely spread Islam by the sword. What does the Quran teach? Let me just mention uh, two passages. I'm going to read two passages from the Quran. Here's from Surah 9.5. And when the sacred months have passed... Then kill the polytheists wherever you find them. Christians are polytheists in the minds of uh, Muslims because we believe uh, that God is, there is one God, but we say he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that Jesus uh, is the Son of God and came in the flesh. To them, that's not monotheism. Kill the polytheists wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit and wait for them at every place of ambush. But if they should repent... Establish prayer and ziv zakah, let them go on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. In other words, if they'll convert to Islam, don't kill them. Here's uh, Surah 929 of the Quran. Fight those who believe not in Allah, 
nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book. Jews and Christians are people of the book. Uh, Muslims say that Abraham and Jesus were prophets of God. They just say Jesus was not God. In fact, they say Jesus didn't die uh, on the cross and rise again. Until they pay the jizah with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. So there are, there always have been some Muslims, and there are today, some Muslims who believe that uh, Dar al-Islam should be spread by the sword. Um, people, when, um, when Muslims gain control of, an, of a territory, uh, what do they do with the, the, the people in the land who refuse to convert? Uh, well, they look at what ISIS is, has done here in this last summer, right? Uh, they've killed many, many Christians and others have been killed uh, and other things done to them. But ultimately, uh, the Muslim authorities can choose to allow them to live. They're called jimis. Jimis are unconverted, conquered peoples. But they have to pay the jizah, they have to pay a tax and um, some other things. They're, they become second-class citizens. So I have a photo here of, uh, this is in, from Islamic State this past summer. And this is a room full of Christians who are being required to sign a contract with Islamic State um, spelling out the 11 rules for them as jimis. The fact that they have to pay a tax in order to live, uh, a special tax, and other things that they are are not allowed to do because they are um, they're non-Muslims living in a Muslim-controlled territory. So here's the bottom line. Uh, of all the religions that we've studied, Islam poses the greatest threat to human freedom because Islam says we know what God's will is in, in the particulars of life, and there are some Muslims who say, and not only, and, and I, and we feel that it is God's calling on our lives to help you submit to Allah. Let me respond theologically uh, to Islam. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Bible talks about people who are zealous, but their zeal is without knowledge. They're spiritually zealous, but they're, they don't know. They don't have the right knowledge. Allah is not God. Muslims say that Allah only asks from humans what they're able to do. And therefore, he is just in holding them accountable for how do they live their life. Did you or didn't you submit to Allah? And uh, if you submitted sufficiently, then he will accept you. And if you didn't, then uh, you will be condemned. It is definitely a, um, a religion of works. The Bible says that God asks of us more than we are capable of doing because we're handicapped by the sin nature. But then God left heaven and he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and he went to the cross and he took our deficiencies upon himself and he bled and he died and then he rose again that we might have life. 
for a Muslim, we have to absolutely applaud Muslims for emphasizing the fact that the Creator has the right to tell the creature what to do. And Jesus says, pray that the will of God may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Absolutely. We, we should submit to God and we should uh, do his will here on earth. But for Muslims, the idea that God would, would humble himself and take on human form and then go to the cross is, is not only uh, incomprehensible to them, it is uh, ridiculously objectionable. It's horrific. God would never do that. No way. And yet for Christians, that's the very, the very part of God that causes us to love him, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Allah is not the God of the Bible. Allah is not God because they're completely different. They have completely different characters, completely different hearts. The God that we love and worship as Christians is the God who says, I see your need. I see your inability to help yourselves. I will come and I'll even, I'll lay my own life down so that we can be friends, so that I can call you sons and daughters. And that type of a God is not the God that the Muslims uh, believe in, follow. They've rejected that God. And yet that's the God that we love, the God who humbles himself. And that's a God who puts his Holy Spirit within us and empowers us to become new and better people. And that's a God who, say, who says, I trust my spirit in you so that my law to you is now this simple. Go in love. And, and I'm going to give you, uh, you tremendous freedom to go figure out what loving God and loving others looks like in your life. It's a, it's a the law, uh, remember Jesus keeps talking about you know, freedom. I have set you free. I've set you free from this legalism, which uh, in Islam is um, very, very stark. So I don't know about you, but the God that I love and respond to is the God who, who has humbled himself that I might live. So let me pray. We're going to praise him in, in, in song here in just a moment. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Although you were in the form of God, you did not think equality with God something to be grasped, something to be hung on, held on to. But you emptied yourself, took on the human form, and you obeyed the, Holy, your, the Father and you went to the cross and you laid your life down for us. That's why we love you. That's why we follow you. That's what we put our hope in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.